Hello and welcome to the Locked On Canucks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm Justin Morissette, and this is your Locked On Canucks for Wednesday, November 20th, the day after the Canucks get thumped 6-1 to by the Dallas Stars. I uh, watched the game last night, or sat down to watch it, intending to uh, follow up with a with a post-game podcast, breaking down all my thoughts and feelings on that game. But the Dallas Stars are like the Minnesota Wild of old, in that they are so boring lately that I fell asleep during the second intermission of that game. I was just lulled into a trance through periods one and two and slept through the third period. Uh, really, it feels like my brain did me a favor by just shutting down and not subjecting me to uh, what was an awful effort overall from the Canucks, one of their, if not their worst of the season. And really, I made this point on Twitter yesterday, but this is the kind of game you would expect from a team playing game six of a six-game road trip. Not game one, when they should have been well-rested. They flew into Dallas in advance of the action uh, on Tuesday night. They had a day of practice on Monday. They'd been there for a good day and a half. They should have, you know, had their legs, had uh, some energy to go out there and try and avenge uh, the loss that they suffered on home ice just five days earlier. Instead... That was about as lethargic as it gets uh, from anyone not named Bo Horvat, who had a great effort on his goal and a nice little feed from Brock Besser to set it up as well. Just a god-awful uh, game for the Canucks, the kind that you uh, would rather just burn the tape on and never watch ever again. So I don't have a whole lot to say about the way the game went. I, I was planning to save this for uh, a later day because I had... A a feeling I'd have plenty to talk about from the Stars game last night. I honestly do not. So let's talk some prospects instead. Yes, joined by another guest here today, and let's get right into it. Switching things up a little bit on the program today, joined by another guest once again this week to talk about uh, the Canucks, but from perhaps a different perspective. Yes, we were joined by Corey Hergott close to a month ago now to talk about what's going on down on the farm, but let's take a broader view at the Canucks prospects today. There will be some Utica Comets discussion as well, I'm sure, but I am joined to talk all things Vancouver prospects by the man who is the editor-in-chief of Elite Prospects and EP Rinkside, a friend of mine, J.D. Burke. Welcome to the program. I don't know how it took so long to get you on here. Yeah, I've actually been wondering a little bit about that myself. I have taken it personally, and I have made as much noted. Uh, something for me to consider going forward if any scheduling conflicts arise. I mean, if, if Locked On Canucks won't prioritize me, uh, well, i got to look out for myself and not prioritize Locked On Canucks. <laughs> but... Tonight works, so you're in luck. Let's let's do this. Let's talk some Canucks prospects. Hell yeah, let's go, bud. Are, are, are you questioning our friendship lately, though? I will understand that if you saw Jackson McDonald make not one, not two, but three appearances on the pod before you can even get a sniff. I could understand if that would be upsetting to you. Well, I mean, of course, you, you're you're going to mud wrestle that pig three times over the airwaves, and I gotta. I got to grovel for one spot a month into the show. I mean, what is this? Is he the editor-in-chief of anything? Not that I can think of. This is the managing editor, but it is a different title. You Not are correct. an editor-in-chief. That's true. You have to move on, I guess, from the Nation Network to become an editor-in-chief somewhere. We'll see where Ramina Schlott lands. Either? 
does he? Because I mean, like, that's another thing I got going for me. I got a podcast going, dude. Really? Do you? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. It is a radio show. I guess it is available as a podcast as well. That's true. Was Jackson like lording it over you? Was he just flaunting his appearances in your face after each and every one? I would imagine he was. That does seem like his style. No, no. He was going on some like rant, something about internet brain that I just completely ignored. Um, you know, the, what I do most of the time when Jackson talks. So no real issues there. He hasn't really rubbed it in my face or, or held it over me. Uh, although maybe he will after this episode, once you brought it up, I mean, maybe something will click who knows, but up to now it's been mostly cordial. Yeah. He's like the Joker in the dark night. He's on a mission to push the hockey fans in this city to their moral <laughs> limits. He's testing us all with how far we will take things here in this town, I guess. Well, you know what? He's just trying to get me to, to do the one thing I won't, which is break the rules. <laughs> and, and it's something that he, he pushes me. And I, I haven't been able to reach that point yet. And really what it is, it isn't a battle for, it isn't a battle between Jackson McDonald and J.D. Burke. It's a, it's a battle for the hearts and souls of Vancouver Canucks fans. <laughs> do you get what I'm saying? I absolutely do. Now, uh, having said that, J.D., what is the one rule that you have that you will not break? Well, it's the one rule you're going to have to break to save your little Miss Bride-to-be. <laughs> <laughs> and that my friends is called leaning into a bit hell yeah that was great let's talk about prospects now though because there's plenty to dive into at the moment jd uh this week obviously another mysterious injury suffered by ollie you levy down in utica and it seems like this guy is just cursed at this point because obviously it was a mysterious uh you know mystery injury last season as well that saw him fly back from utica to vancouver that was the end of his season last year uh, i don't know if you have heard any scuttlebutt or rumors as to the severity of what we're dealing with this time around uh what can you tell me about uh what you've heard about all you levy this week uh it's everybody around the organization is pretty tight-lipped on this one and and you can understand why um the medical staff in vancouver uh rightly or otherwise uh you you can decide that for yourself as a listener but They've come under criticism in the last few years. And you look at the Canucks and they're, they're standing in the, the man games lost year after year. They're usually in the top five of the NHL. So uh, they're, they're being pretty t- tight-lipped about this one. And when you consider what a delicate situation it is with a prospect who is already under uh, what I would sometimes consider to be an unfair or undue amount of scrutiny, I think they're trying to protect the player. I think they're trying to protect their staff. And I think they're trying to show that they're giving this the due diligence necessary to try and get Ole Ulevi back on track. I mean, look, this is a player who has played uh, fewer than 40 regular season games now in three consecutive years. Uh, I mean, if, if you go back two years and you look at his TPS one and you add an international play, the number gets a bit higher than that, whatever. The point is, this is a guy who's had to overcome a lot in the way of injuries. You talk about somebody who is barely 20 years old. He has suffered a major knee operation, a major back operation. That's a lot. Okay, and, and it starts to add up. And the thing is, it's not just the, the physical toll that is, is starting to wear on this player. It's also the, the developmental toll. I mean, if, if he misses the rest of this year, you're looking at somebody who will have played a grand total of 32 games. 32 games over two calendar years. And 
for somebody who's 21 years old, you're talking about their age 21 and 20 seasons, and that, that that's a critical point in the player's development. And that's just not something that the organization can account for. I mean, I think a lot of people have have decided for themselves that Ali Levy is a bust. And you know what? Looking at the way things are going, I'm not going to try and disabuse anybody of that notion. But one thing to consider is it's a little bit revisionist. If you go back in time, if you look at some of the draft rankings, you look at the consolidated rankings, Oli Levy at fifth overall wasn't too big of a reach relative to where the industry had him going into his draft class, right? Uh, but you look at some of the players taken after him, uh, and of course some of those players I would have preferred in that spot, whether it's a Sergachev, a Keller, the obvious one being Matthew Kachuk, I, I don't necessarily think it's fair to hold Ole Levy to that standard. I, I usually try to look at picks in a vacuum, and uh, I think that the organization made a, a selection that, even if I wasn't necessarily bullish on it myself, uh, was within the bounds of reason, and, and part of the reason that they're being so tight-lipped is because they don't want the final hammer of uh, the final gavel in the court of public opinion to, to come smashing down on somebody who, I mean, like, look, nobody saw this coming. Even the people who were lowest on him thought that he was a surefire NHL with top pairing upside. And now they're at a point where injuries have robbed him of so much crucial development time and have robbed him of, of, of prime years of his physicality that he won't get back. And, and it's just at a point now where they're, they're kind of at a fulcrum and, uh, the hope is that nothing breaks, and I think that they need to handle that with as much care and diligence as they've so far suggested that they're willing to with everything they've said in the public. Now, there is some question as to whether all you Levy will be able to deliver on his promise, but I'll tell you what always delivers, and that's DoorDash. Treat yourself to the meal that you deserve and have your favorite restaurants come to you with DoorDash. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter the promo code Locked On. Listening on the go? If you can't visit DoorDash right now, you can find this and all other offers from Locked On sponsors at LockedOnPodcasts.com slash offers. Now, um, you know, obviously everything that you just said is abundantly true, that there are a number of people who feel like this guy is a bust right now. Craig Button even came out in the media earlier this week and publicly called him a bust as well, that uh, you know he's not going to amount to very much, if anything. But what I will say is I was in a similar place last season with all you Levy where I, I had, was starting to completely write this guy off as a player as well. And Jason Botchford actually told me that I shouldn't do that. Like, yes, there's all kinds of reasons to be nervous about the fact that he is missing this entire season, and that's compounded by the fact that he's injured once again this year. But Botch made a point to tell me, like, if you look at his point-per-game production that he put up in the AHL last season before the injury, there was all kinds of reason to believe that this guy was still destined to become an NHL player. Uh, how much are we losing that now? Because obviously when he came back this season, there's an adjustment period that comes even after you've recovered, quote-unquote physically recovered from that injury. It's going to take you quite a long time to get your skating back to where it was before you suffered it. And that seemed like it was rearing its head quite a bit at the AHL level before the injury even. He seemed like he was an odd man rush machine, that he simply was getting turnstiled by guys and his skating just wasn't there to prevent those kinds of breaks on his uh, you know, defensive end. Is that, you know, a, a real worry at this point that like no matter what his skill set is, and I do think there is an NHL skill set buried underneath all of that stuff, 
it's just going to be lost to uh, injury after injury because, I mean, that's how it's starting to feel right now, even as someone who wants to remain hopeful about this guy. Yeah, I mean, it, there's there's no getting around it, right? I mean, the, the facts are the facts, and uh, the injuries have kind of woven their way into that story. But as Botchford pointed out, and he was borrowing one of my talking points, thank you very much, Botch, uh, <laughs> just kind of goofing around there. But no, I was pretty fond of his work, not only in the AHL last season, which was on the high end for 20-year-old defenseman, right? 13 points in 18 games. Uh, that that's that's really going to jump off the screen, and uh, that's the type of thing that we'd normally associate with a player that had top pairing upside. And you want to take it a step further back. I mean, 19 points in 38 games is a uh, you know is a is a 19 year old in in TPS in the Finnish Liga. That's that's really really good production, right? And it's kind of unfortunate for you, Levy, because you you had Michael. Uh, sorry, you had Mikhail Sergachev going off like ridiculous in that year. You had Clayton Keller establishing himself with, I think, like a, a 50-point season, Matthew Kachuk. And all the while, if you if you looked at Ole Ulevi outside of that context and you just evaluated him based on the merit of his performance at the World Juniors, what he was doing at the Finnish legal level, there was an excellent prospect there, a player who was proving himself capable of living up to the top four billing that at a minimum most people thought he had going into his draft year and and whether he's going to be able to get that back again that is the real issue here because when i was watching the utica comments this year i saw a player who i mean here's the thing this is why people like the canucks they fell in love with Ole Ulevi. it's because when he is at the top of his game he is like neo in the matrix he doesn't need to dodge bullets he just puts his hands out and they drop like the way that he can process the game at lightning speed is is unlike something I've seen in many in many defensemen aside from him, right? It's really special when you see him in the zone. The biggest issue was always his engagement level, but when he was at the top of his game, the way he could process things at speed was at a level that you just don't find in prospects at that age. And and I think he still had a bit of that left in his game when he was playing with the Utica Comets this year, where the issue started to arise was in, like you said, the odd man rushes, people beating him to the outside, him not being able to maintain containment when people were attacking with speed. Just couldn't turn, basically, from what I was seeing. He he just can't turn. He looked like somebody getting over knee surgery is the best way I could put it. And then if you compound that with another lower body injury, man, it does start to look pretty ugly. Is is there a chance? Like I realize the odds get longer with every injury further to you know uh, hamper his development. Is there a chance that he does get back to being at some point the guy that uh, this team fell in love with in the first place? I, I don't know if he's ever going to be that player, and I say that as somebody who has been. I don't want to say one of his most staunch defenders, but certainly I've kind of you know been the standard bearer for for not hitting the panic button on you Levy is is if there is anybody who who has that label in the Vancouver media I I think we're at a point now where look at this point it's operation salvage right I mean he's 21 we're so far away from uh being at a crucial point where we get to to decide whether he is going to make it whether he's not we're not there yet like even if he turned into uh get there even if he turned into a, a number six at this point, just a guy who can make a fantastic outlet pass, like that would that's be a victory. That would be a huge victory right now. That's what you're trying to do if you're the Canucks right now. You're trying to salvage the player who can at least be competent at the NHL level. And then you're hoping he can grow from there. 
And and I think that that has to be the objective if you're the Vancouver Canucks, right? Drown out all the outside noise. There's nothing they can do to make up for the fact that he went fifth overall. There's still a player in there, and if they can get him to remain healthy for long enough, I think they'll be able to get him back to that point. I just don't know if he'll ever be the player that they fell in love with at fifth overall. Uh, and there aren't a ton of defensemen on this roster and in this pipeline necessarily who can make the kinds of outlet passes that I was seeing from Ulevi at the AHL level, even this season, you know, even at a time when his game is not what it had been in the past, he still has that element of his skill set working for him. Well, I, I would I would push back on that because I think that Brogan Rafferty's play this year, I, I really do think that he started to gain some separation in the organizational depth chart from Ole Ulevi. And I think part of that was he can make a competent outlet play. Uh, he can skate the puck well. He's a bit of a jack-of-all-trades defenseman, right? He's not somebody you characterize as an offensive guy or strictly a puck mover. He's somebody you can do a little bit of everything. Now, of course, the key difference between those two would be Brogan Rafferty's on the right side. He's already 24 years old, and, and the fact that he's dominating to the degree that he is in the AHL is a great sign, but it also is about the ceiling we're looking at, right? Like, I think that Brogan Rafferty can uh, develop into a, a legitimate competent credible third pair option i just don't know if he can get much further than that because he's already 24 years old let's talk about so yeah those two guys i I think that's where you're going with that one brogan rafferty and josh tevez i have been so conditioned jd to just completely write off these collegiate ufa signings yes we do occasionally get some some great players out of that in in chris tanev and troy stetcher and I'm not sure if there's any other UFA college guys who've panned out for the Canucks other than those two. But every time a college player like makes their NHL debut at the end of a season, you know, I'm always thinking about like Michael Zalewski and like Griffin Molino and these guys that were just completely nothing players for the team. And, and even on the defensive side, you know, when I was seeing uh, Rafferty and Tevez come in at the end of last season, it just was like, okay, well nice i guess this you're buying a lotto ticket for free but odds are this is going to be an evan oberg all over again uh somebody who's not going to really help you very much at the nhl level they both had very impressive training camps however like what are you seeing from them uh the two of them as a guy who routinely watches uh the utica comets play well i i've already given a bit of a, a brief rundown with Brogan Rafferty. He's got a really great slap shot. He makes a good outlet pass. Uh, you know, I, I think the, the big concern with me sometimes when I'm watching him is, uh, and I hope this doesn't seem as a, a low blow because it's not. I, I think the world of him is a player and I think he has an NHL future, but there are moments where uh, because he is blind in one eye, kind of similar to the Manny Malhotra situation where he'll make the odd play where you're just like, okay, I'm guessing you didn't see him there or, you know what I mean? Like plays where he's not making the obvious route or he's missing somebody who should be in his line of sight. And that can lead to some pretty uh, unwieldy turnovers in the defensive zone. But for the most part, he's somebody who's making a great first pass can carry the puck up ice. He defends credibly. I, I really do like his game. He's growing on me a fair amount. And I do think that he can contribute at the NHL level. I even think that he could be a, a second unit special teams or on both sides of the puck. Now, Josh Tevez, I think, is running into a bit more trouble in the, the AHL level. And I know a lot of people are, are going to look at Josh Tevez and they're going to see the fact that he, uh, for a while there, he was leading the Utica Comets. In fact, he might still be for that matter. 
Uh, he was leading the Utica Comets in plus minus. I think he got up to like a plus 12 at one point. But, I mean, it, it's kind of hard to dance around this, right? He's only got the one point in 12 games. And, I mean, players that profile like that at his age don't usually make the NHL. Now, that said, he can make a great first pass. I think that he's credible defensively. And, and maybe he has upside as a six or seven, similar to Brogan Rafferty, but perhaps on the lower end of things, right? And I, I think that the, the organization, though, hasn't really kind of given any indication that they're quite as high on Tevez as they are Rafferty, because you look at the fact that uh, Tevez is getting healthy scratch right now for Mitch Elliott pretty regularly, somebody who was with the Kalamazoo Wings as recently as two weeks ago. I mean, it doesn't necessarily speak very highly to how the organization feels about Tevez. I mean, the thing is, whether they become NHLers, like everyday players or not, if you can get two players that you can add to the 7, 8, 9, even 10 spot in your defensive depth chart in the Western Conference, that's a victory, right? If you can get somebody who can fill in for two, three, maybe even five guys, uh, five games at a time, then you're going to be coming out of that on top with a uh, NCAA free agent, right? Uh, and, and I think that the Canucks, to their credit, were able to do that with both of their big signings last year. So whether they become anything better than that remains to be seen. Uh, usually you take the under with players of profile like this, but early signs are encouraging. Well, I don't want to spend the entire conversation talking about guys who play for Utica, J.D., but uh, while we're focused on the Comets, why don't we uh, take a peek up front? Cole Lind uh, has been a massive topic of conversation amongst the fans here in Vancouver, seemingly right from the moment he was drafted, and we got that, why is nobody taking Cole Lind video? Uh, You know, like, people have been very high on this guy, and he clearly had a difficult adjustment stepping from the WHL into pro hockey. Are you seeing enough from him this season to think that Cole Lind still perhaps has an NHL future? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And if you're as talented as Cole Lind, I, like I was never really quite ready to write him off, even as bad as things looked last year. But, you know, I, I talked a little bit with, with uh, somebody who is no longer in the public sphere and now is on the team side of things. I wonder who uh, that could Cole. be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so many. Whoever could I Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely didn't work with him at two different locales, but uh, <laughs> we uh, we were talking about Cole Lynn when he he joined the Comets at the end of his his uh, WHL season, uh, the first year where he just got a bit of a tryout there at the end. And one thing that really stuck out to us, I mean, I, I don't think his point production was quite as grim, but it was a small sample, of course, right? So kind of hard to look at it quite as bad as he did last year. But, but it really stuck out to both of us that he was struggling with the pace of AHL hockey. And he couldn't keep up mentally. He couldn't keep up physically. Uh, he wasn't as engaged on the forecheck. He didn't look like he was able to keep up with the uh, tempo of his line mates. He looked like somebody who was completely out of place. And, and in retrospect, I'm thinking about that sample of play. And perhaps the Canucks, and, and even, of course, myself, perhaps we didn't give enough credit to that. And maybe he should have been in Kelowna the entire time last year. Who knows? Whatever the case, they've got him back on track now. He's at 12 points in 16 games. That's great production for somebody at his age in this role. <clears throat> he's playing at the top of the lineup. He's playing in both phases of special teams, mostly on the power play. And he's back to playing that game that made him such a dominant player in the WHL level. He's in on the four check. He's making some really high-end creative passing plays. He's looking the part of somebody who could really develop into an impactful middle six player at the NHL level. 
Now, if he's going to be able to keep this up for the, the remainder of the entire season, that's that's another story entirely, right? And and if I had any reason for skepticism, it w- wouldn't even be necessarily uh, the lack of production last year. I just think that I look at this Utica Comets team, I look at the way that they were feasting on the AHL for their first, what, 10 games or so. I, I do wonder if the team as a whole is due for some regression and somebody like Colin, who's uh, near the top of that that lineup, one of the big point producers is going to suffer that disproportionately. But overall, I think if you're looking at his progress this year, you're looking at the steps he took, you have to be encouraged if you're a Canucks fan because he is very much so back on track. It sounds like from the way you've just described him that maybe his biggest obstacle is not necessarily in his development, but the fact that the team has signed so many contracts over the next three to four seasons that there's just no room for anybody to even break into the middle six right now. Yeah, yeah, that that absolutely is is an obstacle that, that he and, and Zach McEwen and uh, to a lesser degree somebody like, let's, let's say, Lucas Yashik are, are grappling with, right? And and then you you go further down the line and you look at somebody like Carson Folk who's come out to a pretty good pretty good start this year and Petrus Palmu is almost at a point and a half per game in Liga like uh, the Canucks have some some pretty high end winger talent developing in their their pipeline and and I didn't even get to Vasily Podkolzin yet uh, so you know I think the big question is how are they going to create that room. And and you know I, I think you've talked about this a bit on the show but you look at this team. I don't think anybody's lining up for the final two years of Antoine Roussel's contract. I don't Who think knows? Roussel's the problem, to be perfectly honest. Well, no. Of all the guys no, on those he... four-year deals, I think he's the best one. And he's also only signed until he's like 31. So I don't think age fall-off is going to be a huge issue with him either. Right. But isn't it telling that he's the first one where you're like, well, nobody's going to be trading for that deal? Because the, the reason I led with him is because of the fact that he would be the, the most easy to move of that group. I mean, we know that they tried to move Sven Berchi. We know that they've tried to move uh, Nikolai Goldobin a little bit further down the, the organizational depth chart, right? So yeah. you do wonder who exactly has value. And I don't wonder, I mean, he's not necessarily in the, the, the prospect purview, but I wonder if Jake Furtanen is somebody who might suffer that. Yeah. Um, well, <sighs> We're going to get to, I do want to talk about Vertanen a little bit with you before we wrap up, and, and we're going to get to Vasily Podkolzin in just a second here as well. But um, before we do that, you mentioned a bunch of wingers, a bunch of uh, you know lesser-known prospects, whether it's uh, Yasik or uh, you know uh, a number of guys that they've drafted in the last two years here. Who do, Pe- Petrus Palmu as well, who obviously went back to Finland uh, at last season. Who do you think is the most slept-on prospect in terms of their overall upside that just doesn't get talked about in this city? Ooh, that's that's a tough one. I I, I don't know if anybody really gets gets slept on in this city. Uh, if anything, I, I often see a lot of the opposite, where you know somebody goes on a, a five-game point streak, and all of a sudden you're getting asked when he's going to be playing in the NHL next week or the one after. Uh, I, I <laughs> so, feel like that has fallen um, off though since your uh, mystery friend now working for an organization stopped being a, an online gift guy. Like a... Yeah, yeah, no, that does help a bit. That does help a bit. You know what? I'm going to go way out of left field with this one, and and uh, I'm not going to bring him up just because I have my my first prospect update. Uh, it has a section on him for the Athletic Vancouver towards the middle of the week, but Aiden McDonough is somebody who I really didn't see a lot coming from last year, and they took him with one of their seventh-round picks. Uh, he was a draft-plus-one player. 
not even up to a point per game in the USHL, not the type of guy who, who profiles like a future NHLer, right? But uh, there was an organizational tie-in because he's very close friends with uh, Jack Rathbone, who happens to be very close friends with Thatcher Demko, quite the uh, organizational I don't know, draft tree there. But, uh, <laughs> Brackett's I, I, job, I guess, is pretty easy when his successful prospects are just being like, yeah, go check out my buddy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, most of their intel is just collecting phone records. But uh, <laughs> 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 just checking a player's speed dial. And, you know, once you, once you get past your 120 or so players on your board, you just you go with that. Yeah, I mean, who, heck, who, who's this guy got. texting? Yeah, yeah, no, you know what, though, he, I mean, the the thing is, Judd Brackett and the Vancouver Canucks have had so much success uh, drafting players who don't profile well out of the USHL, and whether it's Adam Goddard, whether it's Tyler Madden, whether it is Will Lockwood, that at this point, you just have to give them the benefit of the doubt, you know, fool me three times, shame on me, uh, you know, so it's it's one of those scenarios, so uh, I went ahead and I, I have a contact within the Northeastern organization and I got a chance to speak with their coach about him. And, and he just had glowing uh, praise for McDonough, you know, talked about what an excellent person he was off the ice. But uh, the thing that really sticks out was that he, he went ahead and led with the fact that McDonough already has a pro level shot, right? And coaches aren't usually the type to, uh, you know, offer superfluous praise, right? If they're going to say something, you know, it means it. Uh, you know that they mean it. And I think you look at Aiden McDonough's point production, he's up to six points in nine games as of as of this recording. Uh, you know what, that's that's pretty good for a 20-year-old freshman. And and I'm starting to think that there might be something there. I mean, his skating needs a bit of work, but that's pretty much par for the course for any six-foot-three power forward at his, his age level. So uh, I, I think that he's going to be somebody who kind of falls into that same kind of myth mythos as, as sort of a Goddard or Madden or perhaps even a Will Lockwood where Canucks fans are just going to become enamored with him by the time this year is over. Interesting. Well, thank you for that. I'd never even really thought about that guy at all. Uh, so that, that's exactly what I was looking for. Who's well, being you're gonna, slept you're on? Gonna have to, you're going to have to read about this two days from now on Wednesday. <laughs> you're you're screwing me up here because we uh, are recording this a little earlier in the week. So thank you for uh, blowing the game here, JD. I appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> for the record, folks, I did ask him to do this during the show. I thought it would be a little bit funnier than uh, I ended up being. You're blowing the bit, man. <laughs> Plenty more to come on the prospect front with JD Burke, but uh, we will put a cork in the conversation for now and continue with it on tomorrow's show so look forward to that until then uh once again want to ask you to rate and review the podcast wherever you happen to find it i'll be back with more knock prospectus with jd burke tomorrow afternoon until then i have been and will continue to be justin morissette and you've been locked in on locked on canucks part of the locked on podcast network